Romans chapter 16. I'm going to finish the epistle to the Romans tonight. As I was going through this last chapter, I was taken back by how many names there are. Partly because I have a hard time pronouncing them. But secondly, because Paul lists over 30 people here. The first names that he lists are those he knows in Rome, and then at the end of the letter, those who are actually with him. But there's over 30-some people that Paul mentions. And I think of how Paul was not just a person who was out to reach the lost and save souls, but he was also a person who made friends. I mean, think about it. Could you name 30 people that you know at another church, a place that you don't really aren't at or don't go to, but this is the church in Rome. He'd never been there, but he knew 30 people that were there. Now, some of them had been with him, as we're going to see, but otherwise he knew 30 people. I'm trying to think. I have a hard time thinking, you know, of my kids' names, let alone, you know, 30 people that he would just, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and then he gives a little bit of insight into them. Of course, some of them we're going to see our relatives. But I was just taken back how many people Paul addresses, and he does that constantly throughout his epistles. He just knows a lot of people. And you think of the great apostle Paul... I think we should also think of him, the great apostle who was a person who made friends. He knew a lot of people and he befriended a lot of people. And I think that's a great trait. I think that's a, a commendable thing. That's why the scripture talks about being hospitable to one another. It's an important part of what we do as followers of Christ is making people understand they're our friends. They're not just a, a notch on our belt. Okay, you got saved. Clink. Okay, move on to the next one. They are people who God loves and cares for and wants us to get to know and be involved with their lives. They're friends. And Paul lists all these people, and we're going to go through, but I, I wanted just to let that sink in. As we go through these names, think of how many people this person, Paul, knew. And then think of how many people you're close to. How many friends do you have? Because usually we have a couple. We have a couple of good friends, and then we have acquaintances outside there. Oh, yeah, I know them. But, you know, we don't really have that much in doing with them. And I think God is, was prompting my heart, you know what, you, you really need to think about this and how Paul did relate to these people. Chapter 16, verse 1, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Kenchiria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Okay, the first person here, Phoebe, I want to, some people I'm going to take some time with, some people I'm not, because some I found more interesting and there was more information on them, and some there wasn't. I'm not going to just make up things about them. So, Phoebe. Her name is, another name for Phoebe is actually Diana, which we know from Acts and the goddess of Diana. So Phoebe is a heathen name. She's a Gentile, 
who was probably someone who worshipped false gods or her family did, who was a convert to Christ. And it's interesting because she is called a servant of Christ, and the word that is used for servant there is deaconess. And so she had an overseeing role in the church. Now, Paul knew her most likely from Corinth, and then she went to this other place, Contraria, Centria, but she was someone who oversaw different things. And it's important to recognize that a servant or a deaconess is someone who serves that area. They kind of minister to that area. But whenever I think of a deacon, I don't usually think of women. I don't know about you. But here she is a deaconess. She played that role. Now, there's a difference between a pastor and a deacon. There's a different position that they have. We don't see a woman in the pastoral role, but we do see them in this role of serving as a deacon. So she had responsibility, and it says what her responsibility was. And it said to give her any help, for she has helped, been a great help to many people, including me. She was a servant. She took care and kind of got her hands dirty and took care of the needs of people. And he tells them, you need to receive her. You need to take her as just you would any of the saints. She is worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. It's important that we understand how powerful this really is, talking about a woman in this way at that time. This woman who is a servant of Christ and you need to receive her as a saint. You need to help her in any way that you can because she has been a big help and a servant to many people. And we need to recognize that in people and not discriminate people just because, well, you know, she's a woman. Now, I, I know that might sound funny, but it does happen in churches. It still happens where women aren't given as much respect as we see Paul giving Phoebe here and telling them to receive her as a saint. And some places it's more obvious than others. You know, in California, I don't think it's as big a deal. We're pretty liberal in most areas, and that would include in this area here. But I think this is something that's worth noting, how Paul commends her. And all these people who he mentions here, I just, I wonder what their story was. I wonder, where did Phoebe come from, this woman who shares the name of the goddess Diana, who's now a servant and a deaconess in this church, and who's there in Rome, and he's telling her, to, what's her story? Because every name has the story that's behind them, what God has done in her life. How did she get to know Paul? What was that acquaintance, and how did she minister to Paul? Can you imagine being someone who helped the Apostle Paul? What, what a great mention in scripture. She helped me. And it's the Apostle Paul writing. I just, I, I marvel at that. I think it's powerful in what that contains. Goes on and it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches in the gen and of the Gentiles are grateful to them. We see Priscilla and Aquila mentioned six times throughout the scripture. 
Priscilla and her husband Aquila. And it's interesting that Priscilla's name usually occurs before, at least four of the six times. And you might think, well, that's not, what's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal at that time. It, it's showing a significance. It's showing giving a favor. She probably was the one who had more of a role to play in these areas, Priscilla and her husband Aquila. We know that they went to Corinth. We saw them in Acts that they had to flee Rome when the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And that's where they met Paul. And Paul was taking up the tent making. And they were their, his co-laborers in that area. And we see that they were serving alongside Paul throughout his ministry. So these were people he was acquainted with throughout this time. And we see their name pop up time and time again. And once again, we see Priscilla, the woman, had a greater role in some sense than Aquila. We don't know to what extreme, and we don't know how they risked their lives. But it's interesting that she was mentioned first. It's kind of like normally you would say Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. You wouldn't say Mrs. and Mr. We're just used to Mr. and Mrs., but now it's Mrs. Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe it's because the name Aquila sounds like a girly name. I don't know. It's just Aquila. You guys remember that cartoon, George of the Jungle? Because they had Priscilla and Aquila. They stayed in step, but they were both girls. And I always thought, <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with the study. But we see that they were there beside Paul. And again, these people played an important part in Paul's life. They were there throughout, and we see that they're now there in Rome. And so Paul is writing to these people that he knows that they're there at the church in Rome, and what a help that they've been to him throughout the years and to the Gentiles, that they should be grateful to them. They've risked their lives for Paul, and I wonder in what way they risked their lives for him. Maybe it was visiting him in jail, taking supplies to him. Uh, the church uh, neglected Paul in a lot of areas in that way. Maybe they were the ones who met, met that need. In verse 5 it says, greet also the church that meets at their house. I, I like that. Whenever they went, they seemed to start a, a study. And he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the church that's there at their house. I like it that we're here at the house. You know, greet Sam and the church that is here in his house. <laughs> Sam and Kareen, or should I be Kareen and Sam and the church <laughs> that is here at the house. And so meet the church that is there. And it says, greet my dear friends, Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. What a thing to remember. The first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. It's the beginning of just that tidal wave of the gospel entering into that, you know, that whole continent there. And here, you know, don't forget to greet this person. He was the first convert to Christ in that region. And, you know, you remember the people you lead to the Lord. They stay with you, and Paul remembers this person, and they're there at Rome, and what a blessing it is when you meet again or see again or speak of again or know of someone who you knew way back when who was still walking with the Lord. You guys ever run into someone, and you say, How have you been? I haven't seen you in 10 years, and you wonder, and your, your first thing in your heart is, are you still walking with the Lord? You might not say it out loud. You kind of wait to see what they say, how the discussion unfolds. And if they start saying, 
you know, well, I'm, I'm going to this place to, of worship. I'm going to this church and I'm serving. And you think, all right, good. They're still walking with the Lord. And if they don't say anything, you, you wait for that little opportunity to say, so are, are you at church anywhere? You know, how are you doing in your, your walk with Christ? And then you just hope, oh God, I, I pray that they're doing well. I hope they're still walking and it breaks your heart when you hear, well, you know, I haven't really been living like I should. I haven't been to church in a long time and it's just grieving to you. But Paul is writing to this first convert in the province of Asia and he's there in Rome. And you think, how cool is that? They're still walking. They're still moving forward with the Lord. Greet Mary. Hey, Mary. <laughs> who worked very hard for you. Here's another worker. These women tend to be workers. Now, it's interesting because Mary is a popular name throughout the New Testament. But most of the time we see Mary, it's not in a working sense. It's more at the sitting at the feet of Jesus sense. Martha was the worker. You know, Mary who, who would, you know, wait on Jesus. She, you know, just sat there and enjoyed and worshipped him. But this Mary was a worker. And it, it's neat because God uses all these different people and she played this role. And once again, I like how Paul mentions those who, who serve, those who work, those who do the groundwork. I, I think of how important those people are who just work and take care of those things. Most of the time in church, it is the person who speaks who teaches that gets most of the attention. It's the pastor's name that's up on the marquee or in the newspaper or on the website. It doesn't say, you know, and Mary who prints up the bulletins and Alex who unlocks the building and Val who sets up the chairs and Gil and, you know, Keith and Rick who do the sound. It, it, we don't see all the names. Those don't come up on the, the marquee, but Paul writes them down. Mary, she's a worker. You know, Alex, he's a worker. And he gives this commendation, just, you guys, these are people among you. And, and I want you, to, I want to say hello to them because, man, they're, they're good people. And they're the people who make the work of Christ in the body of Christ just flourish. These are the Mother Teresas of the church that take care of those things. And you know what? They are probably more essential than those who are speaking. Jesus even said it. It's the members of the body that you don't see that you give greater honor to. It's those, the ones that you protect. Those are the ones you cover. Your heart. You, you need to protect your heart. Oh, you could live without an arm, but you can't live without the heart. And these are the people who are the heart of the body of Christ. They are the ones who are the the pulse that moves things forward. And we really don't need more teaching as much as we need more people moving the gospel forward, those who are doing the work. And so he mentions these people and he mentions Mary who worked very hard for you. You're indebted to her. She worked hard for you. It's our daughter's phone. She forgot it. Um, says, greet Andronicus and Junius, my relations who have been in prison with me. 
They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. And so here we see some of Paul's relatives. And it's interesting for a, a few notes. One is that he mentions relatives that he had, but then he also says among the apostles. There are different people who are named among the apostles. And it's important that we understand what an apostle is and the different roles that these apostles played. I see basically three different types of apostles, and it kind of falls in line with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says that Jesus was the Father's apostle, that he was sent out, he was an apostle from God. And that's what apostle means. It means sent forth or sent out. And so Jesus was the only apostle that God sent out. Then we see the 12 apostles that Jesus sent out. And then when Judas fell by the wayside, they cast lots and got Matthias who filled his space. And some think that Paul was also one of the, the 12 or apostle in born late because he had a vision of Christ. But there were requirements of those 12. They had to be with Jesus from the beginning. They had to have seen him. They had to work miraculous things. God had to be upon them and working in their lives. And those were the 12. And then there are the apostles that the Holy Spirit sends out. And here we see two of them that are mentioned, Andronicus and Junius. But we also see Titus was called an apostle. Barnabas was called an apostle. Timothy was called an apostle. And we see that there are others that the Holy Spirit sends out throughout the church. And really, apostle is probably a better term for what we would call missionaries, those who were sent out to take this gospel message. But if we call them apostles, people get all weirded out with the name. But really, I see those three types of apostles. God sending the Son Jesus out, Jesus sending the Twelve out, and the Holy Spirit sending out those in the church that continue the work of God. And so we see this role of apostles, and we see that these people were apostles too. So they're not just the Twelve, they are others that were sent out. And we start seeing with the others that I mentioned, Barnabas, Titus, uh, Timothy, and these two, that this idea of apostle is more, it's spreading out. It's not just the 12. The Holy Spirit is sending out people throughout the region to do his work. And so these are named with them, apostles sent from the Father. And basically, again, they're missionaries. And it's interesting, too, because they knew Christ and were in Christ before Paul was. Which, again, we're getting a little bit of insight into Paul's history that we didn't know before. That Paul had relatives who were in Christ before him. And what role did they play in his life? Did they hide from him because he was out persecuting the church? When did they talk to him? What was that, you know, family dinner like when they would go for Passover? You know, there's Paul who's, you know, out persecuting the church and here's these two who are in Christ. Did that happen? When did it happen? Were they in different regions? I don't know, but I just, I wonder about these things and it's fascinating. And so they were in Christ before him. In verse 8, it says, Greet Amplatius, whom I love in the Lord. Why does Paul love him in the Lord? I don't know. But I love that he says, 
greet this person. I love them in the Lord. It's endearing. It's getting that message and just being told, hey, Paul says hello to you. And he says he loves you. And again, we see an endearing to Paul that I don't think sometimes because of how harsh Paul can be in his writings, I don't always think of him in this passionate way, an endearing way, but he had a lot of friends and a lot of people that he loved. Verse 9, it says, Greet Urbanus, he's an urban guy, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachius. Greet Apollos, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. And again, here's some other people that he's just sending names out and he's talking to these people uh, to greet them. And the way he commends them, you know, they're tested and approved in Christ. I just think God put these people's names here and gives these little things tested and approved in Christ. How are they tested? Most likely through trials, most likely through persecution. Approved means they came through faithful. They didn't deny the faith. They didn't give in to whatever the pressures were upon them. But what great things to have said about us. I want to be tested and approved in Christ. I want to be a person that that could be said of me. That someone would be able to say, oh, there's Sam. He's tested and approved in Christ and those who belong to this household. Now, greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus, according to Barclay, was actually the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod was the one who killed all the children, two years old and younger, because he had heard that the Christ was coming. He was a brutal person. It was said it's safer to be a dog in Herod's house than to be his own son, because he would kill you thinking that you were going to try and someday take his throne. He was so paranoid. Some of the tales about this guy and the, the things that they said when he was dying, because he knew no one was going to mourn for him because of how just oppressive he was, he gathered a hundred of the most respected and well-liked people in that community. And he brought these hundred people and he told the, the soldiers, when I die, I want you to kill these hundred people because if they're not going to mourn me, I want there to be mourning when I die. And so these soldiers gathered up a hundred of the most well-beloved people in that community, just like Herod had ordered. But when Herod died, they said, you guys can go. They let him go. And there was rejoicing. Good, he's dead. And now we see his grandson is a follower of Christ, the one he was trying to kill. And how did God do that? How does God do... This was a person who was in authority. In the world's eyes had power. And it just shows how God is able to take the weak things and confound those things that are strong. This baby that he couldn't kill ends up being the Lord of his grandson. And with all his power, all his paranoia, all his trying to stop this, 
God still moves forward and moves into his family, his own household. And now Christ is named among his family. And I just think, how powerful. That's just like God to do something like that. And this guy who is wicked ends up having a grandson who's named in Scripture. And then it says in verse 11, greet Herodian, my relative. Now, it's interesting because Aristobius in verse 10, before verse 11, and that's usually the way it works, 10 comes first, but he is someone who is associated with Herod, and this name, Herodian, seems also to be connected to Herod. There are some people that believe that Paul actually was related to Herod. But we don't know for sure, but it sure is interesting to think about how would that happen and what would that be like and, and all the implications of that. But we don't know that for sure. It's just speculation. It says, greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Have you noticed the women work hard? I've noticed that too in my own life as well as in the scriptures. The women work hard. They're hard workers and what a blessing they are. They work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perseus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. There it is again, these women working hard in the Lord. Um, it's just interesting that that happens a lot and, and we see it throughout the church. Uh, the Lord has a great gift in the women of his body. Um, they just are hard workers and do incredible work for the Lord. And I think it's neat that they're getting that acknowledgement here. Greet Rufius, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Now, who is Rufius? We see Rufius named in Mark 15.21 as the brother of Alexander, son of Simon the Cyrene, or Simon of Niger, the, the black man. It's believed that Simon was the one who carried the cross for Jesus. When they took Simon and they brought him, they put the cross of Christ on him and he carried it. He's also named in the book of Acts. And so it's believed that this is, again, one of his sons, uh, Rufius. And it's someone um, that he mentions throughout Acts as well as in here. Um, it's neat because he says he is chosen in the Lord and his mother, who's been a mother to me also. So what would this be like? Again, you know, it's a small world kind of a thing. The guy who carried the cross for Jesus ends up being someone who is instrumental in the book of Acts, we see, and, and sending out Paul and Barnabas. And we see his sons now and their mother, which would be uh, Simon's wife, were close to Paul. How did, what, what are the steps and the puzzles to that piece? How, how did that take place? We are on the phone, or no, Corrine went to, went shopping recently. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> at, at Christmas time, and, or no, it wasn't shopping, you were at the school, at work, and she, there were some soldiers that were there doing, you know, their recruiting, 
And whenever she sees a soldier, her heart melts, and she goes and talks to them and tells them, our son's in the Marine Corps. And so she was talking to them, and they actually knew our daughter-in-law. Because they're in the Army, she's in the Army. And so, you know, she's talking to them and say, yeah, you know, my daughter-in-law's in the Army. Oh, really? What's her name? Because she actually was out here, at, you know, before she went off to Iraq. And, you know, oh, yeah, we know who she is. And again, it's a small world. And you see, well, Rufius, well, yeah, take greet him and his mother who's been a mother to me. Well, that's, you know, Simon the Cyrene or Simon of Niger, the one who carried the cross of Jesus. You know, greet him too. It's just kind of one of those small world things. All these people are showing up and still serving the Lord. And now there's a story. The guy who carried the cross of Christ, who came to know the Lord. What was that? There's a movie to be made right there. I mean, it's, I'm, I think there have been, but none that are good enough. You know, it's just a powerful story that he carries the cross of Christ. And just by seeing Christ from that time when he was being led up to Golgotha to when he was crucified and the things that he beheld there were enough to turn his heart to the Lord. And you just think, what a powerful imprint that made on this man's life. And here it is, a testimony still. And so we see Rufius and his mother, who was a mother to Paul also. Um, he goes on and he says, verse 14, Greet this other person, Asnicritius, Phlegion, Hermaprius, Patrobidius, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philophogria, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, I know that one, and all the saints with them. Okay, greet all these people. And then he goes on, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. And he kind of brings this culmination and he brings this endearing term, greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you remember in the book of Acts when Paul was going off to Jerusalem and they said, Paul, don't go. There's the prophecy, they took Paul's belt and they bound him. And he says, whoever's belt this is will be bound like this. And they weeped because they knew they would see him no more. There was an endearment that was there that they held because it was rare that they would see each other as often as we see each other. They couldn't send each other text messages. They couldn't Facebook each other. They couldn't send out an email. They couldn't get each other on the phone. They would have to write a letter. And who knows when I will see you again. There were a few people like Priscilla and Aquila who Paul journeyed with throughout times and worked alongside. There were the Timothy, the Barnabas, those who were beside him. But a lot of these people, he would see them you would grow close to them and then they would leave. I know that the times that I've traveled different places when we went to Mississippi for Christmas a few years back and we got to meet and know some of the people and see some of them actually come to the Lord and get to know them and then we had to go and we left them. And oh yeah, we could write them but that was about it but there was this pulling at your heart that just said, I'm not going to see you anymore. The last time I left Wales, it was a, a hard thing for me because a lot of those young people that I got to know and see over the last three years, I was saying goodbye and the reality is I don't think I'm going to see you again. 
and it was hard. And yeah, I could still write them and message them. And I know one of them saying that they're going to be coming out here to California. We'll see if that happens or not. But the odds are you're not going to see them again. And it's a difficult thing. And so there's this endearment that is here, why he's writing these things. And he's saying hello to them because he knew these people, but now they're over in Rome or he knew about them from someone and those who were in those household. He'd heard good things about them, what they were doing for Christ. And his heart went out for them. And that's why he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Because if I was there, I would do it. I would greet you. I'd hug you. I'd give you that holy kiss because I'd be so happy to see you. And he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ, they send greetings. We're in this together. We're family. We're saying hello. We're sending our greetings. Verse 17, he says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So he changes gears here and his tone changes from this endearment and greeting to this admonition and warning. And he urges them to watch out for those who caused visions. So many times we see that Paul's heart is breaking because of those who are spreading just false information. They're not there serving Christ, they're serving themselves. And Paul cries for the church because of these things, even warning them with tears, you know, that after I leave, ravenous wolves are going to come in and they're going to devour some. And Paul's saying, watch out, you guys. Those who are teaching something contrary to what we have taught. The Christ that you've heard, it's a different Christ. It'd be much the same as what you hear, you know, well, the Mormons, they teach Christ. It's a different Christ. It's not the Jesus we, we preach. It's not the Jesus revealed in Scripture. The Jesus to the Mormons is the half-brother of Lucifer, who was born through sexual relationships with a God-man. It's not the same Jesus. And he's warning them, you've got to be careful because what they're teaching, it's different. It's not the same. And you got to be careful for those things. And he warns them about those things. And he talks about their smooth talk. And he just, you know, they're there for themselves. They're not there for you or for Christ. And it's interesting that that's how he, he discloses what they're really about. Is that they're not there for you. They're there for themselves. Any organization that uses people to build itself up is a dangerous thing. The church is not about building up an establishment, building up a structure, an organization. And when organizations use people to build them up, watch out because they can use it for their own appetite instead of actually caring for the people. And he ends up saying something that's really profound, it's beautiful. Verse 19, he says, everyone has heard about your obedience. He started off the epistle with everyone has heard about your faith. 
your faith is being spread throughout all the world in chapter 1 he talks about. And here he's ending it, if everyone has heard about your obedience. But then he goes on and he says, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Great words. Great words. To be wise about what is good, but to be innocent about what is evil. Jesus said to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. You know, I think of Psalm 1 that talks about, I, or Psalm, uh, Psalm 101, verse 3, it says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. You know, I'm not going to allow what is evil to be a part of my life. And then Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. We need to be innocent about evil. It doesn't say ignorant. It's innocent. It doesn't mean you don't know that evil is there. They're living in Rome. Rome is the epicenter. It is the political capital. It is the commerce capital. It is Washington, New York, and Hollywood all in one. I mean, it is the place. There is a lot of junk going on in Rome. There's a lot of evil that is around there that they know that they see, but he wants them to be innocent of it. To not give it their attention. Be wise about what is good, how you're to live your life, but in, innocent about what is evil. In other words, don't allow it to influence you. You ever see a, a kid who's innocent about something and they see something that's on TV, maybe it's a commercial, and they're shocked and they look away. <gasps> that's bad. And they turn away. They, they're innocent. It hasn't grabbed hold of them yet. They don't like, oh, look at that. You know, they look away. Why? Because they're innocent of those things. And they, they know it's wrong, and there's a, a protective barrier there. Paul wants us to have that protective barrier. He goes on, and he says in verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Something good to keep in mind, you know, God of peace is going to soon crush Satan. And he says, under your feet. Now he's writing it to the church that was about to go through tremendous persecution. But it's still true today. The God of peace will someday crush Satan under our feet. And the grace of the Lord be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius, Jason, and Sosip, Alter, my relatives. And more people that Paul knows. I, Tertullius, have wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. And so we know now that Paul was basically dictating this letter and Tertullius was writing it. Now, Tertullius, or Tertius, how it's pronounced, it actually means third. That's what his name is, third. Why do you think his name is called third? Not only that, it will go on here, it says, Gaius whose hospitality and I, who the church here in joy, sends his, you his greetings, Erastius, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus. Quartus means fourth. fourth. I figured. <laughs> That's it. 
Why do you think, what do you think that is, third and fourth? Why do you think that's their names? The third child and the fourth child. No. No. Oh, sorry. What do you think? Maybe they had relatives before, you know, the first, the second, the third, you know? Well, actually, they were slaves. And so many slaves, they didn't get names. You're the first, you're the second, you're the third, you're the fourth. They were slaves. And so the third greets you. The third actually dictated, the, or wrote this, that Paul dictated to. And then the fourth is mentioned later on. Interesting. These people who were just slaves, who weren't given names, were given numbers, are mentioned in Scripture and given a place in God's kingdom. Once again, I think it's just beautiful how God takes what the world pushes down and exalts it. These people didn't even have names. They were just given numbers. Number three is the one who penned the epistle to the Romans. Isn't that neat? Isn't that cool? And so here are these people who you know, wrote these things down and he wrote it with his own hands and they send their greetings. And now verse 25, we have another change here because it says now. And this is what took place here is Paul, like he did in a lot of his epistles, he took the pen and he finished the letter. Okay, third wrote the rest of it, but Paul's going to write the last part of it, which I kind of like that. Give someone else the majority of the work, but I'll, I'll autograph it myself. This is, you know, Paul's writing and finishing. Can you imagine having an autographed copy of the book of Romans? I mean, you think of what is a Mickey Mantle card worth, you know, that was autographed with his, you know, here's the, uh, the writings of Paul with his signature on it. Oh, just, wow, that's got to be worth some bucks. Um, anyway, he says, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. I just love how Paul starts this out as he writes this to him who is able to establish you. It reminds me of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from falling to him who is able to establish you once again we see it is the work of the spirit of god that establishes us that keeps us from stumbling that is able to work in our lives we don't need a follow-up ministry really we need the holy spirit to establish us it's good to have people and friends we see how important that is but it is the Spirit who establishes. It is the Spirit of God who keeps us. It is His work in our lives. That's why Paul could go into a community, start a church, and leave in just four months' time. You guys, your church, boom, see you later. It's like, who's the pastor? You know, no, you have to have six months you know, before you can start serving. Or you have to you know, be in the Lord for this... He'd start churches and leave. Why? To him who is able to establish you. To him who is able to keep you from falling. And here we see that Paul entrusts them to God himself, who is able to establish you by my gospel. And I think it's interesting that he says my gospel. There are some people who say Paul is preaching a different gospel than that what John preached or that which James preached, but really I think it's just Paul being personal. 
you know, it's like when Thomas saw Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. It's now personal. Or Mary, when she went to the tomb and Jesus appeared to her but was hidden, and she says, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. It was personal. He's, he belongs to me. And this is my gospel that he says. And the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Now, what is this mystery that was hidden for long ages past? What do you think that mystery is? Who's he writing to? The church in Rome. The Romans are Gentiles. The mystery is God declaring this work of Christ to the Gentiles. I'll go quickly through a few of these things. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 and 6, it says, Surely you have heard about the admonition of God's grace that was given to me for you, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That is the mystery that God was sending Christ to unite the Gentiles and the nation of Israel. That is the mystery. He's writing to the Roman church. That's why he's been dealing with the Romans, with the Israel and the law, and with the promise of Abraham. The promise came before the law. We are God's children. We are Israel by promise, even though we are not Israel by nationality. And so the mystery that he's talking about is that Christ has brought the Gentiles into the fold, that we are a part of what is now Israel, the spiritual Israel. And so he's talking about that mystery that was hidden in ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophets, prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. There it is, all nations might believe and obey him. God has just opened the door to the entire world. And so that is the mystery that Christ has come to save the world, to reach everyone. And then he closes this, and I love this. It says, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. My first Thompson Chain reference Bible, I got a leather cover for it that was handmade because that was cool back in the day. I have it still somewhere. I should have brought it out. And on the back of it, it says, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. I remember when I read this scripture, it captured my attention. They said, what do you want carved on the back of your uh, you know, Bible cover? And this was the scripture I wanted because I thought it says it. God is the only wise. And especially to the church that was there in Rome that saw all these pagan gods around them, to the only wise God the only one who's really wise, to God the only wise, who's given glory, how? Through Jesus Christ. Forever. Amen. And what a powerful way to end this epistle, Paul writing with his own hands, and what a personal way to end this epistle. 
He doesn't end it with the doctrinal statement. He ends it with greet this person, greet this person, say hello, my loved one, greet each other with a holy kiss. Be careful, stay away from those who are preaching a false and causing divisions. And then he takes the pen with his own hand and he writes these things. And he tells them once again, just the mystery of God that's been revealed through Jesus Christ wants to reach you. That is the mystery. That's why I'm here. To God, the only wise, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Any questions or, or thoughts just in the conclusion? Or maybe just as we've gone through Romans that have stood out to you through this epistle? Captured your attention? Sparked interest? Provoked thought? Okay. Let's pray. Father, I enjoyed so much going through this epistle. And Lord, I enjoy going through everything that we read from you and how you bring things out that are so important to our lives. And even in this chapter that is talking about all these people and just saying, giving greetings to these people and how endearing it is and how important it is and how insightful it is to your heart working through Paul and through the church and those who are serving. And I think of those who are serving you still throughout our fellowship and those throughout the world. And I am so thankful for your body. I'm so thankful for those who serve and those who give to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, strengthen us, and help us to be knit together by your spirit. May our hearts be intertwined and might we truly build each other up, love each other, and care for one another, Lord. And I pray that the things that we have learned through this epistle will sink into our hearts and our lives and produce fruit for your honor, Lord. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your mercy. And Lord, you alone deserve our praise. You are the only wise God. May you receive the glory that is due to you through your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.